Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's a party. So grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. Which of you guys watched the Super Bowl? Okay, so I'm I'm not from Missouri, Kansas, or California, so not me. I, I just frantically refreshed my Google feed that gave the live score update. I'll, I'll tell you what I did. I didn't want the Chiefs to win because I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, and I thought my luck is always so horrendous that I bet my brother $100 that the Chiefs would win, thinking that my bad luck would jinx them <laughs> out of it. And so I won $200, but I lost everything to get it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's my uh, Super Bowl spiel. I watched the Super Bowl, but that's because I love watching the Super Bowl every single year with my family. I don't know if many people know this, but I love football. Mm. And I love watching football. And I love playing football. I grew up in a very football-oriented family. We would, we would play spets, too. And I love going to the games at my school. I go with them with my grandpa. It's so much fun. But I'm not a conspiracy theorist generally, but I was a Super Bowl conspiracy theorist this year, definitely. Oh, yeah, for sure. We, we were making jokes in my, friend, in my uh, friend group about, oh, I just know the NFL script writers are having a heyday today. I thought, here was my big Super Bowl prediction. I thought that it was going to go into multiple overtimes, which it did. So I thought I was really pulling an Ostradamus here. And I thought for sure Travis Kelsey was going to throw a Hail Mary pass. You mean catch a... Yeah, and and yep, he would catch a Hail Mary pass. See, that's how much I keep up with the Super Bowl. Um, they, were, <laughs> they, they would they would escort Taylor Swift down onto the field like like Cleopatra, and she would kiss Travis Kelsey, and he would pull out a ring box from his dock strap, <laughs> and he'd propose to her on the field, and they would play Romeo and Juliet Ugh. by Taylor Swift, and he would kiss her like the sailor is kissing the nurse after World War II, and that was going to be Tom Picture of the Year. That was my Super Bowl prediction. And they were going to pan to the crowd, and it would be a bunch of young women who've never seen a football game in their life, like just like screaming and crying and jumping up and down. That is really what I thought was going to happen. That is very detailed. <laughs> NFL, if you're hiring and you need a new script writer for next season's show, let me know. I think they could use you. They could do better. <laughs> <laughs> I, tar- I turned on an overtime once I was like, oh, maybe I'll actually watch for a little bit. And it was all right. Were the commercials fun this year? Did y'all like the commercials? I didn't hear anything about them, so I'm kind of like... I, I was kind of frightened by the ooh, ooh, Timu. You know that one? The oh. Timu. I read some columns afterwards about that. The, and and, and the, this is proof that we're not just like rifting out of nowhere. I read a column afterwards that was like... I, it might have been by the folks at the ACC who were like, Timu, bad, not just only because it's shady and doesn't care about their employees, and the Super Bowl is a nice, friendly reminder of just how much waste they contribute. And it was just kind of like the, the environmental and ecological impacts of Timu and, and sites just like them. So that was kind of interesting. That's, that's my Timu association for the Super Bowl. I've heard that the things that people purchase on Timu are just Awful quality. I've heard that too, that, that it takes forever to get there. It, it was like 50 cents and then it breaks after the first try. Buy American. Buy yes. American. Buy American. Buy American. American. Ethically buy American. Speaking of China, mm. 
I'm not really a big fan of their government. <laughs> Pretty solid statement to make on this show. I'm not a big fan yes. of the Chinese government. <laughs> I mean, I'm sh- I don't know if you guys are. I shouldn't be presumptuous about your opinions on China. <laughs> no, but- I, think, I think you know our opinion on China, Hannah. I yeah. think you're pretty... I'm like, if we're, if we're, I mean, gosh, I lived in Taiwan for a little bit in high school and it was just crazy to hear what the Taiwanese people, like their, their fear in their eyes when people talked about the Chinese government, because the Chinese government just takes all of the power away from the people and the people have virtually no say in what happens in their own lives. And actually the New York Times just did an article about how the Chinese dream is to leave China and come to America. I believe that. I 100% believe that. I had a friend in college who studied abroad and went to China and she worked on a lot of democratic campaigns here. She was a pretty well-known Democrat on campus and in the local area and didn't think that it was like necessarily as bad as what a lot of people said, thought a lot of that was like kind of conspiracy and went over there and was like asking her classmates questions about democracy and things like that and got a note on her dorm door that was like, stop asking people what they think about the government or we will send you home. <laughs> and, like, and like that was and She was like, okay, well, I think I'm going to wrap up my study abroad. <laughs> And, and head back, oh my time, head back home. And so that was like her experience, like as an American student in China. She said that it did not last like a fifth as long as what she thought it was going to. So yeah, there's, a, um, oh, there's yeah. also been a huge surge of uh, Chinese immigrants coming through the southern border to like get yes. get to America because of how bad China's economy is and how bad the government oh my is. Gosh. Yeah, and I feel like this is a really solid segue into why. Well, our topic of today's show, which is what kind of government regime types are the best for mitigating climate change? Mm. And as we can see by how awful <laughs> China's environmental problems are, I mean, have you guys looked at photos of like Beijing's air pollution? You know, I, I don't know why I know so many secondhand like China stories or whatever, but I know that my high school had a like, stu- like week long study abroad program that you could do like as a junior and senior. Like every single year, it was a different place. The history department would send people, and they said that like, and this is not at all like me like dunking on China or the people or the culture, but they said that when they announced that it would be China, everybody was really concerned about air pollution, air quality. Like several girls in the class who had asthma were like, "I'm gonna have to miss this trip because I don't know that, that like it's gonna be clean enough for me to be able to enjoy going to China." So it was like one of their concerns that they had like never really had to address before in terms of like where they would be staying, if it would be feasible, if several of the students' health would be acceptable for it. So that was like, like even as like a 16, 17 year old, I remember like that being the conversation that but like not the culture or the history. It was like, am I going to be able to breathe? <laughs> like, am I going to be able to drink water? Which, which is crazy yeah. when you think about like, the Beijing Olympics where they cleaned up the pollution and cleaned up the city. It's like, it is doable. They like made presentable for the rest of the world, and they're like, eh, we're not going to keep doing this for this as average citizen. Right, right. Forget them. Yeah. I think that, you know, one thing that the Beijing Olympics really shows is that the Chinese government cares a lot about appearances mm-hmm. and not a lot about its people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and why would they? They're authoritarian, you know? They're, they have no connection to their people whatsoever. And... I think that is why democratic regime types are so important to mitigating environmental issues. Because if people are disenfranchised and the people who are connected to problems aren't able to represent themselves to those in power, 
nothing can nothing will change you know the status quo remains the status quo right and like especially if people are getting very wealthy off of causing these environmental problems and people in government are getting very wealthy off of causing these environmental problems why should they change it doesn't benefit them and they don't have any connection to their electorate if that makes sense because it's not an electorate because there's no elections in china it's just the Chinese people who are oppressed by their their government. Wow. Yeah, you know, that, that, that reminds me, Hannah, that's just perfect timing. I was doing a reading for a class the other day, mm-hmm. and, the, the, and, and I don't remember the details. I've slept since then, and I've read God knows how many thousands of words since then. Mm-hmm. But the writer was an immigrant, I think from a Middle Eastern country, and he, a lot, he said that he'd come here to study abroad, and a lot of his classmates were talking about, man, this country's the worst. Our politicians are the worst and democracy's dumb. And he was like, that lets me know how democratic your country is, though, because you would not be able to say that as willy nilly as you do in my country. He was like, so you can talk about how much you hate your democracy, but your ability to talk about your country's democracy is a measurement of how democratic your country is. And I think wow. we really take for granted here in the United States. Oh, well, if I don't like this law. I can write a letter to the editor and I'm not going to disappear. I can write my member of Congress and he's going to send me an email back. I can call my member of Congress's office and I'm going to talk to somebody who's going to talk to me about that issue. Whereas, you know, that's something that we can forget. What a privilege that is. Whereas in China, there's no reason to vote because the same people are getting elected. You, you don't, it, it doesn't matter who your representative is because they're not actually representing you. So it's, it's like, I think we take for granted in politics here just how much opportunity have we that we have to voice what our concerns are, whether they're environ- environmental or not. Yes, 100%. And another thing about authoritarian regime types is their time horizons are super short. Because in last week's episode, which is the part one of this episode, we talked about how insecure authoritarian regimes are. I mean, mm. look at Vladimir Putin. Like, you wouldn't see, you know, the president of the United States... I mean, I guess, I don't know, things have changed a lot politically recently, (laughs) doing like shirtless photo shoots, riding horsebacks, hunting beavers, you know, to to present this like strong man persona, because that's not where the president in a democracy gets the legitimacy, is not their personality and their charisma, you know? We call that They get their legitimacy election. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, and And it's not like the U.S. doesn't have its fair share of propaganda, it's just that our government is legitimized by its people, by its electorate, right, not right. by, you know, personality. And so because these regime types are so insecure, like, you know, if you think about it on kind of like an interpersonal level, someone who's mm. like really insecure doesn't have a time horizon that extends to 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, right? Mm-hmm. And the consequences of climate change will be felt 5, 10, 20, 15 years from now. And also many of them are felt today. So how can the government, who has such a tor- short time horizon, act on anything that they're not experiencing immediately in the present moment, right? Yeah, they're so focused on holding and grasping power while, while they have it and gaining more power that there's no thought to like future preservation and uh, improving their country in, well, ge- in the even, broader term. Yeah, and I think even when you think about dictatorships like in North Korea, you don't care about your people's well-being because you don't need them to be well to elect you. You're getting elected no matter what. Like your your concern is not, do my people have clean drinking water so I can get reelected? It's, oh, I'm going to win 150% of the vote. How do I make sure that I don't get assassinated or poisoned or 
or exactly. like you usurped by my sister. <laughs> like it's it's you don't care about your people's well being in a dictator like, like that. You're like, which of my siblings should I murder next? Assassinate, to make sure yeah. That I is, don't is, have. Is my wife plotting against me? So it's like a bunch of things like that. <laughs> exactly. And luckily in democratic regime types, our leaders are not as insecure because, you know, if they get taken out of office, it's because they weren't serving the people, not because all of a sudden they were assassinated or, you know... I guess there was like some sort of political revolution. And so authoritarian regime types. Yes. And another thing about authoritarian regime types is they have a a massive bureaucracy, right? And the bureaucracy, I mean, I don't know if you guys, how much you guys love bureaucratic red tape, but I personally hate Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I'm not Um, not a big fan as a conservative. Oh my gosh. And, and, you know, I was working in government. I actually fear that the United States federal government has way too much bureaucratic red tape even today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because here's a quick example. When I was working in the senator's office, we would yearly get a stipend to redecorate the office. So we would redecorate the office. But we had to do so much paperwork to get rid of our existing tables and chairs and carpet (laughs) that instead of getting rid of it and donating it back to the public, we put it all in one massive floor on the federal office building. So there's just like a floor in the federal office building of, you know, most of the senators in the US of just old tables and chairs and carpet that we just don't want to do the paperwork to get rid of. And we just did, if we didn't have this stupid paperwork, we wouldn't have to worry. Meanwhile, <laughs> some low income families and new families are eating on the couch and on the floor because they do not have a table and we've got <laughs> yes! sitting in a room somewhere <laughs> oh, rotting away. Oh, Katie. It wasn't 10. It was oh, like hundreds no. oh, of tables no. and chairs. Oh, no. <laughs> because every senator... Spiraling. Oh, dear. Oh, God. Yes. And I thought, gosh, this is why bureaucratic red tape is terrible. And if if just getting rid of tables and chairs is I was about to down, say, that's a Parks and Recs episode. If you can't even <laughs> get rid of tables and chairs and we're trying to d- dictate wars and everything else. Oh, gravy. And I know that it's supposed to be there to, under the guise of protecting taxpayer dollars, that the, making sure that none of the senators are like selling it for their own personal enrichment. But like, gosh, like, I mean, can't we make this more efficient? And that's when I realized that really large governments and large bureaucracies are so inefficient. And if we had, you know, small government where people were really easy, where it was so much easier for people to be talking to each other and, you know, creating change then and not bogged down by endless hours of paperwork, mm-hmm. like maybe we would be actually able to make a difference, right? Right, right, right. I would like to think that no sitting senator has enough time to sell a 30-year-old table on Facebook Marketplace for $20 a personal gain when got, <laughs> when there's so much other stuff going on out there. That's just crazy to think about. I just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm afraid for, you know, how large the U.S. government is already getting because I feel like, you know, I've seen the most climate action uh, on like the city and the state level and also like on the county level because those governments are so much smaller and way closer to their citizenry and i'm like i don't want the federal government bogging down those local governments with their enormous bureaucracy and their endless paperwork because oh gosh there's nothing that anyone hates more than paperwork in fact 
I believe that if I, I was going to do something that I thought like was really meaningful and empowered and powerful, and then someone told me I had to do six hours of paperwork in order to do it, I would hesitate on doing it because Absolutely. I would be like, I, you know, I care about this a lot, but then I have to do paperwork and I hate that. It's totally a thing that the government can do is, you know, serve you paperwork in order mm-hmm. to prevent you from taking action. If you've ever heard of a slap suit, slap suits exist because, you know, bogging someone down with paperwork makes it incredibly difficult to represent their own interests. And oh, luckily in democracies and, you know, governments where citizens can engage with their leaders, it's less likely that, you know, they're going to be served enormous amounts of paperwork or, you know, I guess the more extreme version of that, you know, taken to a labor camp because people value, the leaders of the country value citizens' input in order to remain in office. So, and another thing about democracies is that the leaders cannot enrich themselves by remaining in government. But that's actually debatable if you consider the fact that the policy, if you consider like the stock holdings, you know, people in the Senate and in the House. Have you guys heard about that? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I even remember the meme going around a couple years ago that was like, if you want to know financial success, uh, follow whatever the Pelosi's are doing with their stocks. And I was like, oof, <laughs> like, like back when, like anytime somebody thinks a war is going to break out, they're like, oh, keep a... Keep an eye on the Pelosi stock portfolio. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's actually an app that allows you to follow Nancy Pelosi's stock no holdings and will way. automatically I'm... match your stock holdings to her Nancy stock holdings. Pelosi stock holdings. I'm Googling this right yeah. now. That is yeah. crazy Google the name. There's a f- there's a few apps out now that I think like track all these politicians trading, like gives you like hints and tips like this is what this person on this far on the foreign relations committee did or the energy committee did. And like this is what they were buying and selling. Yeah, it looks like Wall Street Bets is one of them. There's, it looks like there's several, like y'all said, that Iris, a few like that, that kind of let you compare your your stock holdings to famous people's stock holdings. In the U.S. government, I think that that is extremely undemocratic. Because yeah, nothing like giving yourself an, an, an inadvertent raise. Exactly. We do not know how much Vladimir, how much wealth Vladimir Putin has, because, I mean... I'd be surprised if he was a pauper. <laughs> uh, he, he's like, I pay myself a modest $60,000 a year salary. A humble rags to riches story in, in, <laughs> oh, in yeah. Russia. Yeah, that's not true. Definitely not a rags to riches story, right? I mean, no one's buying into that. None of us here are. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I see you know, politicians enriching themselves from being in politics. And it, it breaks my heart because... I have a lot of faith in our democracy and I have a lot of faith in the power of democracy. I am very disappointed when I see my leaders and the people that I elected enriching themselves off of being in the offices that we put them in there, right? Yeah, it's very damaging to our democracy to have such blatant corruption. Yes. I I think it's also scary that somebody who can give themselves a raise overnight is trying to dictate dictate what is a livable income or what what defines a, a stable living for their constituents. Yes. That's why I'm always a really big fan of politicians who actually do come from working class backgrounds because they get it. You know, they get how hard it is to make rent. They get how hard it is to live paycheck to paycheck. They're going to enact policies that are protecting our interests. But, you know, if you've got kind of those legacy establishment politicians that have just been a fat cat forever, like, of course, they're not going to be completely interested in, in 
what it's like to be an average person. That's kind of my rant about politicians enriching themselves. Here's another thing about democratic regime types is that they are more likely to cooperate with international interests, if that makes sense, when it comes to the environment, than non-democratic regime types. And that kind of goes back to the insecurity of authoritarian and illiberal democracies. If you're part of the, let's talk about the USSR. Say you're the USSR or you're China or you're North Korea. You're just going to be against everything that other countries are doing because a recognition of the effectiveness of another country's government type would be threatening to your regime, right? Because think about how much like anti-American propaganda there is in China and anti-American propaganda there is in Russia and North Korea. I mean, I guess you could say there's some anti-China and anti-Russian propaganda in the U.S., but it, that doesn't relate to like, you know, the government trying to legitimize itself. It's we, just more so political parties, right? Yeah. Now I would say that we could easily find also pro-China and pro-Russia propaganda for ourselves to read in the U.S. because we have free media. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so these countries, if they were to, you know, engage in international climate conversations and recognize the the importance of other countries' participation in climate negotiations and then also appreciate the contributions that other countries have made, that would be threatening to their regime type. So rather than cooperate, it's in their authoritarian interests, their the authoritarian government's interests, to just, you know, be self-glorifying and self-aggrandizing and to not cooperate because cooperation would imply some sort of, you know, validity to a democratic regime type, right? And you can't do that because that would make your citizenship, you don't know your citizenship, your citizenry be like, wait a minute, but I thought we were the best country in the world. And Mm -hmm. then they're they're kind of seeing behind the curtain, you know? Mm -hmm. Have you have any of you guys traveled to China or any authoritarian governments by chance? No, I'd get myself in so much trouble so fast. It's not even funny. Really? <laughs> I, I, I'd get, I, man, I'd, I'd be there for, I don't even think I'd make it out of the airport. My sister lived in <laughs> China for six months teaching English. Oh, wow. And mm. she said it was a very interesting experience. But it's like, also, it's like if you were, she's a photographer. So if she was like taking photos in certain places, they'd be like, put the camera away. No, you can't take photos here. Like, wow. around. Are you serious? They, they, they were like, are you a spy? Like, why are you taking photos here? She's like, I'm just taking photos of everything. Like, Jeez. That's actually so scary. I feel like I've only been to Taiwan. I've never been to any authoritarian, authoritarian countries, but I mean, I don't really want to, if that makes sense. Like, I, I feel like I would kind of like you, you, Katie, um, definitely not make it out of the app. Yeah, I, I went to Morocco at one point, and that was, it was kind of touch and go, depending on where you were at. For the most part, mm-hmm. if you were like in Casablanca, it wasn't a big deal. But for me to be a fat, white, Western woman with short hair and lots of opinions at the time, probably not the best place to <laughs> to very proudly be. <laughs> Many of those things. <laughs> well, Morocco's actually a good a good ally of the U.S., so... They, 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 yeah, it, it was okay. There, there were just some areas that, like, when you got in the more rural area, 
Yeah. You were like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to stay here near the bus with the tour guide. <laughs> but, but you're right, Zach. There, there were several areas where people were super excited. They were super friendly. They were super kind. But, and, and you could just tell that like anything they had, they considered like ours to share with them. Like, and, and they were just wonderful in that regard. But there were some areas that it was a lot of Allahu Akbar going on. It, it was, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, like that was the call to prayer at one point, And there were a few folks in our, our party who were like, mm, this is different for the call to prayer we got in the more urban areas. So it was, it was just kind of, you know, for, for a bunch of Americans, a little touch and go at points. The reason I ask this question is because you go to these countries that are less democratic and more authoritarian, and then you come back to the U.S. and you're talking to, you know, very liberal environmentalists, and they say things like, oh, we just need an executive order. You know, (laughs) we just need Biden to declare a climate emergency because that will make a difference. And what do you think? Like, for me, what I think is, I just roll my eyes. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, right. if you guys went to these countries and saw that, like, these huge governments, you know, they don't give a crap about their citizenry and they don't give a crap about the people. And the people are what are being affected by are, are who, or who are being most affected by climate change. Like, right. you, know, you wouldn't be wishing for the government to expand to be solving this problem. Right. right. I think I think that's a naive take. Like, like, oh, we just need an executive order for a couple different reasons. If you declare an executive order about this, what can't you declare an executive order about? Like, at what point, you know, like, no, let's just not issue executive orders willy nilly. Secondly, the U.S. isn't the only place responsible for climate change or the only place being impacted by climate change. I mean, even hypothetically, if Biden did issue an executive order, what about everybody else? (laughs) Like, not to pull the old conservative catchphrase but what about china and russia and india and all these other folks like even if we did everything right and and had an executive order that that's not going to make up for what everybody else does it's also the flimsiest form of government for the u.s is executive orders because it's literally if another executive comes in they just basically immediately undo every executive order that was written by the previous administration oh yeah exactly super ineffective And it's just such a top-down approach. And I feel like my approach to climate change is just a very bottom-up approach to where people people recognize that they are all individually stakeholders in our planet, if that makes sense. And if you kind of have a stakeholder model where everyone individually cares very deeply about the success of the planet, and you don't just have, you know, some old fart in the Oval Office being like, all right. Everyone has to care about the planet. Like, of course, it's not going to be effective because that's just right. one person, you know? It's like, it's like and, your parent pulling the it's because I said so card. It's like, well, well really? But come on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, why are we doing this, president? Because, because I, I so. wrote my name on a piece of paper, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and not to, sorry, this, we're probably well past that. But apparently, based on exactly what you said, Hannah, because there's no, like, strict definition of what an executive order is. The old Wikipedia, use it at your own risk, says that pretty much every president since George Washington has issued an order that can at some point be described as executive. So that you can't even really define what an executive order is. But apparently everybody just willy nilly at some point has has (laughs) given one. (laughs) And that's frightening. Like, why are we letting people do this? Why are we why are we like, yes, people should be allowed to 
because I mean, it's, it's synonymous with ruling by decree, right? Like mm-hmm. it's basically the same thing. It's like, I, the president of the United States issue a decree that this is important to me. It's like, everyone mm-hmm. is like, okay. And yeah. You know? yeah okay, okay. And this, this article also says that they were pretty much mostly unannounced and undocumented until 1907 when the u.s department of state instituted a numbering scheme for executive orders and they started by like retroactively labeling ones that they knew about and apparently the first one was issued on october 20th 1862 by president abraham lincoln oh really was that the one that it took away the writs of habeas corpus you know, I, I'm. It says it was captioned "Executive Order Establishing a Provisional Court in Louisiana." So, shout out Louisiana. Yeah. So this was apparently during the Civil War. Um, no, no, apparently to it. It was 1862. It was during the Civil War. Interesting. That executive order to appoint a judge to designate the salaries of court officers. So there you go. Interesting. <laughs> um, but. Either way, I think, you know, you're if you're an environmentalist and you care about, you know, democracy and climate change and all that kind of stuff, I think you are wasting your time if you're so fixated on getting the president or, you know, some huge federal government hand down, right? I mean, I shouldn't say you're wasting your time because they're definitely it definitely could potentially help, but I just I think, you know, based on my research in terms of like you know, what is most effective in making the biggest difference, talking to people locally. We've said this so many times on the show, talking to your family members, talking to your city government, that kind of stuff has much larger ripple effects than, you know, some blog post on the White House page, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, just even based on what we've talked about on this show before, executive orders really aren't effective in the United States when they are directed at the people. And we saw that a lot during COVID. And without getting too in the weeds on how people feel about COVID, as soon as you start telling people, you will do this thing, whether you planned on doing it or not, you are immediately like, well, now I'm not gonna, because I was told to do it. So I think that, like you'd said, Hannah, it's just much more effective to go about it on your own initiative, like what President Reagan said, the, the citizens first ideology if you do your part you don't need an executive order telling you what to do that like even more motivation as conservatives to take the initiative to make a difference yeah absolutely the focus and the fixation on waiting for the federal government to do something or waiting for the president to issue an executive order is putting too much faith in the executive order like it's this magic wand that's like mm, bippity boppity mm-hmm. climate change is no longer a problemo. <laughs> it, it, it's that's, over it's done it's been defeated yes it's over i decree that climate change is not a problem anymore <laughs> yeah, like that change, like packs up and goes home like it's not gonna happen exactly it's like mr gorbachev i <laughs> want you to tear down this climate change law repaint and- the ozone layer <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that's, that's, you know, kind of fooling ourselves. And I wish it was that easy, but it's not that easy. And it also kind of like vindicates all of us of our own individual responsibility. And as a conservative, I think all of us agree that individual accountability, individual's reliance and individual responsibility is all super integral into solving these huge global problems. And, you know, saying, oh, you know, it's, it's the president's fault. I mean, the president definitely... Yeah, there's some there's some some of his fault, but it's all of our fault that we're in this climate change mess. And there definitely are people who have shaped the world and the way that the world is more so than, you know, 
you or I have, but that doesn't mean that like we are contributing to this problem and we can't all do something about it. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's really empowering for me to, you know, focus more on what I can do. And I guess that's why each of us here are on this radio show is because we believe in ourselves and we don't need some massive government to come and save us, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I know that if we lived in China, we wouldn't be able to have this show at all. So, so oh, many yeah. people, you know, take for granted the fact that if that, exactly like what we did, there was not a lot of content out there that pertained to our demographic. Okay, so we made something. I think a lot of people take for granted that if you don't see what you want to see, especially in this country, you can make it. Nobody is stopping you for the most part from making it. If it's something like this where you, you, you know, you've got your own platform, you've got to set out and make it. But I think a lot of people, just like you said, expect somebody in power to wave the wand and fix everything overnight and we wake up tomorrow and polar bears aren't in danger and there's plenty of ice in the Arctic and it's just, it, it's not going to work like that. And I think a lot of people want to put the onus on somebody else to do something about it when even, you know, because of the ripple effect of things like this, having this show, having our Twitter, you know, working with the organizations that we do, encouraging our listeners to work with their members of Congress and their community groups and organizations. All of these things have an effect that I think we sometimes take for granted. That is a really good segue into my next point, which is all about the importance of contention in solving environmental problems. So, I mean, if you can think about this in terms of like interpersonal relationships, right? If you don't have, you know, your significant other's interests and your interests, and you don't value both of them, if that makes sense, like in a democratic regime, you don't value the citizens' interests and all of the varying variety of you know interests that can be represented in different political parties. Then it's really hard to get the best idea. You know, in this free market of ideas, you know, climate change is a huge problem, and we can't just have some dummy you know coming along and being like, "All right, I'm in government, so therefore I know what's best," and saying, "Okay, well." Let, let's let's talk about this. Let, let's have a lot of different ideas. Let, let's see what the best idea is because we have this, you know, kind of, it's called memetics, the comp- competition of ideas, right? I mean, you guys have been working in politics for a long time. I'm sure you've seen some seriously stupid policies proposed. I mean, there's one here, here in Utah where we're trying to build a massive pipeline from the Pacific Ocean to the Great Salt Lake. Because we're in a water crisis, which would be hundreds of billions of dollars, and it would just be putting seawater into our lake. And so personally, that is a really stupid idea. Or there's, you know, geoengineering, where people are thinking about putting a massive solar fan, like a, a, a freaking freaking fan that blocks the sun from hitting the earth. Like Brilliant, and brilliant be, work here. Be, Exactly. And people are thinking about doing that to solve climate change. And if you have an authoritarian government and you have some dummy who is like, all right, this is my solution. No one is going to be there because to say, hey, that's a really stupid idea. Right. And I think, you know, we kind of live in this like cancel culture, like sensitive culture where it's like, oh, you know, I what do you mean? Like my idea is stupid. No, there are many stupid ideas and it's okay to be stupid sometimes. I'm sure I have said many stupid things on this show and in my life and that is okay, Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that some of my 
And I'll just be honest, like this is part of the creative process and part of the brainstorming process. You're going to throw several stupid ideas out there before you realize, Mm -hmm. hey, right idea, wrong execution. There might be actually something behind this. We just need to go about it a better way. And I think that a lot of that is, and especially with our age group, you've got a lot of people who are really full of passion and they want to do something now. They want to do something yesterday. Let's get started right now. And they don't take the time to think out, okay, am I reinventing the wheel? Is what I want to do, is it, sorry, apologies in advance for the screaming cat in the background. Is what I want to do feasible? Can it be done? Is it going to cost a billion dollars? A lot of people just jump right in and start doing stuff and they don't think, okay, should I be doing it? Is this the best way to do it? I think you're exactly right, Hannah. If you're not open to feedback about your idea, you're not going to have the best idea that you could possibly have if you bounce it off other people. And we see that a lot in authoritarian regimes. It's, well, I said it, so it's the best thing imaginable. And we see all Mm -hmm. sorts of stupid stuff happening that makes them the laughing stock of the world. I mean, I always think about the uh, the Kim Jong-un ballistic missile launches there in the, I, I think it was like from 2016 to 2020, how it was just like, one horrible missile <laughs> after the other and everybody made fun of them because he didn't want to take advice from any scientists or anybody from outside of the country because he just wanted to showboat as an authoritarian regime which i mean to be fair that's probably the country that we shouldn't be giving missiles to but i think that very same idea can be replicated in a lot of countries like that where, where these leaders don't want feedback that whatever they say whatever comes out of their mouth they're like yeah we'll do that and it's just like watching a train wreck in slow motion to tell you how receptive authoritarian regimes are to, to feedback, just ask any political prisoner in North Korea or China. You know, it's like, what did your government do when you gave them feedback? Mm. You're like, well, now I'm in a labor camp for the rest yeah, of my well, life. Yeah, you're We're, interviewing me and I'm doing hard labor. <laughs> We're just looking at like exactly. Hong Kong. Right. <laughs> Hong Kong yeah. is like the most democratic place in China. And now it's completely locked up in bear down on by the Gang, I, I, I don't I don't want to be the person who says this who knows maybe I'm 110% wrong but as soon as there were those Hong Kong protests coming going on as soon as COVID broke out right after that I was like you cannot possibly tell me that these two incidents are not linked I, again mm. I, I don't want to pull my tinfoil hat out but everybody you know what real quick about Hong Kong in 2020 yep. so yep. I, I'm, just what, saying, I'm just saying I'm just saying I'm sometimes a little bit of conspiracy theorist too there, so you're not alone. Um, I'm just saying, I think that was not meant to be as extreme as it ended up being, but I very much think one was tied to the other. Well, and you know, we're not even, you haven't even mentioned like the Uyghur Muslims thing that was going Mm, on too. All this press about the Chinese government committing genocide and all that kind of stuff against the Uyghur Muslims and then the things with Hong Kong and all of a sudden there is a virus that comes out of China. Hmm. Interesting. And and the whole world is dealing with it. Yeah. That's, I mean, and, and I think that, you know, not to get too far off track, but I think that that's exactly like a lot of these authoritarian countries, if somebody proposes the idea of feedback or critique it's instead of hey let's take that and see if there's any if there's any truth to that it's very quickly pay no attention to the man behind the curtain it's it's let's come up with a distraction real quick to draw attention away from that and so you end up putting more effort in to not face criticism than if you would just listen to whatever your critics were saying (laughs) you know i think that's why when we're talking about environmental problems I get so frustrated with my classmates in class who are like, oh, we just need more regulation. We need more command and control regulation. And it's yeah, like, because that's worked great. No, so far. 
Oh, yeah. And I, I think that this is where I truly believe that culture should lead politics and culture should lead government. Mm-hmm. If we change our collective culture to be, you know, against this exorbitant consumption and against, you know, kind of prioritizing profit over people and profit over planets, then we won't need these command and control regulations that are forcing people to be that way. Like, mm. we would just be living that way anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that you are thinking some good and juicy thoughts about the importance of democracy and representing yourself to your leaders in the battle against anthropogenic climate change and also in environmentalism in general. So. I have an action step for you. First of all, I want you to participate in democracy. This election, make sure that you're, you know, registered to vote and you're voting for someone who represents your values. And then please, please, please talk to your legislators. It's, you know, kind of frightening to do, but every time I've done it, it's been really rewarding. And then I have a book recommendation for you. And the reason why I chose this book is because it's about the importance of individuals developing their own relationship with the natural world and healing their relationship to the natural world. And it's called Braiding Sweetgrass. It's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Shout out to Robin. (laughs) Shout out to Robin. Thank you, Robin, for being wonderful. And when I read this book, I carried with me just like such a strong reminder of how loved we are by our planet, if that makes sense. And our responsibility to love our mother nature back. So please email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. And thank you so much for listening. And a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We really could not have done any of this without you. If you're interested in getting early access to our episodes, as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsors. Additionally, Green Tea Party Radio is not representative of the Diocese of Little Rock, Catholic Climate Covenant, or any of our employers. We are simply a group of young adults who are building a movement because we want the world to know that conservatives have important things to say about climate change. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you guys for, for participating. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye. Have you guys.